0: Hello, what's up? How you doing? 10,000 Pitches, podcast devoted to everything Minnesota soccer and beyond. We are live here with episode 58. Well, we're not live. We're recorded, but you get the gist. Episode 58, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Dominic Jose Bazonio will be joining me in just a few minutes, as will the head men's soccer coach. At Saint Thomas, John Lowry. Now, if you remember last week, we said we were going to go every other week. We were going to go bi-weekly with the podcast for the next few months. But being as there was no Minnesota United game this week, there was no Forward Madison game this week. Had a little extra time on our hands, and so we were like, you know, let's knock a few interviews out, and so we can you know air those on future podcasts. And one of those interviews was with Mr. John Lowry, head men's soccer coach at Saint Thomas. Over an hour long, just was awesome. So you know what? We decided we can't wait for the masses to hear this. We're going to air this th- uh, this week on this episode. So that is what you will hear in just a few minutes. But before that, if you had not, if you have not subscribed, I should say, please do so. Um, also, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you could, even if Apple Podcasts is not your preferred podcast platform. I don't know if I should say this on the podcast. They may blackball us, but Apple Podcasts is definitely not my preferred podcast platform. I am more of a Spotify guy myself, but I have an iPhone, and so I can go leave my favorite podcast reviews on Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts is the number one podcast outlet, so if you have an Apple device, if you'd be so kind to go and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we would much appreciate it. Um, also follow us on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We are at 10 K pitches. I think that's it. And that's all I got to do. Right? So without further ado, here he is, I guess here they are because it's St. Thomas head coach, John Lowry and my co-host, Dominic Jose Bazonio. Hope you enjoyed the interview. See you next week. Bye. All right. Now it is time to welcome in the head coach of the only division one men's soccer team in the state of Minnesota. Of course, we're talking about St. Thomas. It's John Lowry. John, how are you tonight?
1: I'm doing great guys. Good. To, uh, good to talk to both of you.
0: Yeah, it's good to have you on. Thank you so much for joining the show. Um, we will get into everything. St. Thomas here uh, in just a little bit, the, the jump to D one. You're, you know, uh, you know, your second-to-none resume that you've built up during your time with the Tommies, uh, kind of how this first D1 season has has gone so far. Uh, we'll get to all of that in just a little bit. But I want to start at the beginning, John, uh, in terms of your soccer background, kind of how you got involved in the game. You grew up right down the road in Apple Valley. so So how did soccer sort of make its way into your life?
1: Well, I'm going to age myself a little bit. But I – so I did grow up in Apple Valley. And – you know, in the eighties, nineties, two thousands, you know, probably a little bit after that, there was a really strong tradition of a boy soccer at Apple Valley high school. Um, we had a really good, solid community club, Valley United. And, and I'll tell you to answer your question the best way possible. I mean, I, I remember I went to, and again, I'm dating myself, so just bear with me, but I, I went to the 1984 high school state championship and it was, uh, it was, it was at Milky Field in Moundsview and, and Apple Valley won the game. And my neighbor brought me to that game with, with one of my friends at the time. Um, and I just, I just loved it, you know, and then I started to get more and more into soccer. The community was really embracing the sport. Um, I started to look up to, you know, I remember the eight, the 1988, the 1989 state championship teams at Apple Valley. I was, sitting in the Metrodome with a bowl of popcorn, just kind of like really looking up to these guys. And, um, yeah, the game just grabbed me. And then and then it kind of kept accelerating, Um, you know, full exposure to the 1990 World Cup with, you know, sitting in my basement on TNT watching some of those games. And it just it just grabbed me. And I uh, I've never looked back. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful for being a part of the game.
0: One of the big reasons, John, I started this podcast or this venture with 10 K is because because soccer is I feel it's it's so big in Minnesota uh, Mm -hmm. relative to a lot of lot of other states. Now, it's growing, obviously, nationwide. But, you know, in the 80s, taking in soccer at a place like the Metrodome, I mean, that was (laughs) unheard of in in that era. Um, How much of a role do you think that played in terms of you, you know, pursuing soccer not only just getting into soccer and getting involved in soccer but you know having maybe those goals and those aspirations and those 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 benchmarks of like hey I want to be there like how much of a role do you think that played
1: yeah I think it I think it played a big role and and i th- I think the other thing that helped with it was when I was going through my like you know upper teenage years there there was some really prominent people in Minnesota that were doing excellent things you know whether it was you know, Tony Sané or Manny Lagos or Amos McGee or Donnie Gramenz and Mr. Lagos with what he was doing with the Thunder. Um So I just, I kind of just had this like, you know, torch that I was following and I was like, I, I'm really into this and I want to do what they do. And um I was, you know, gifted enough to get pretty far with my career as a player. And I just, uh yeah, it's, 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 I think soccer in Minnesota is really special. I think what you guys do is really cool. I think what, what so many things, whether it's Minneapolis city or it's, uh, you know, youth development, or it's all the way at the highest level with Minnesota United. Um, and now with us being a division one program, there's, there's a, there's a really, really great soccer community. And for, for whatever reason, when I was a kid, it captured me and, uh, I've ran with it ever since.
0: We'll talk a little bit about the uh season the home opener, we're kind of coming full circle there with uh, with Manny Lagos being on the field presenting the Minnesota United jersey. But um you would go on to have, you know, you would take those goals and those aspirations and kind of that inspiration that you obtained and ha- have quite the prep playing career. I mean, you're a Minnesota Gatorade High School player of the year. Um, when did you start to get the sense that you were sort of maybe on a different track or or maybe playing the game at a different level? Um, you know, than maybe some of your peers or kind of you you kind of on a different trajectory so to speak
1: yeah you know it's it's interesting because i i always played up an age group or two so when i was growing up in the community i was you know if i was a u9 you know at that time they didn't have age specific years so it was u10 u12 u14 u16 u19 um so when i was eight or nine i'm playing u10 when i'm nine or 10 i'm playing u12 when i'm Mm -hmm. 10 or 11 i'm playing u14 so i kind of was I was kind of fast tracked into this um, uh, these club teams, and then um, you know, not until I was I was probably thirteen or fourteen when I started to play as a goalkeeper. Um, We had a we had a local team called Valley United. It was our U fourteen. I think it was a yeah, it was a U fourteen team, and we and they put a team together to go over to Europe, and they needed a goalkeeper, and I did it, and uh, it, it went really well. And then when I came back, I had I had such an affinity for varsity soccer at Apple Valley, and they had a they had a great run of goalkeepers go through the programs. Uh, you know, Nick Pascarello, Chris Nerlin, and I wanted to be one of those guys. So when I was a when I was a freshman in high school, I dedicated myself full time to goalkeeping. Um, my goal was 100 to make the varsity team, and I made that team my sophomore year in '92. We won a state championship that year. And then I kind of, you know, back in those days, uh, you know, you, you you go to the mailbox and all of a sudden you start getting letters from, you know, Wisconsin and Drake and, you know, Indiana and Michigan State and Michigan. And then I, I did some ODP stuff where uh made the regional team. And at, at that time, they had a national camp every, uh, it was around Thanksgiving. So they would send all four regional teams down to Thanksgiving. And that was that was November of my junior year in high school. So that was probably 94, 93, 94. And that's when I came back from that camp and uh, thankfully played really well down there. And I, and I just had a ton of great options to pursue my college career. And then it kind of, it kind of took another step forward. And I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say I was naive in the process, but I didn't, I didn't know where it was going to go. And it just kind of came at me and, um, I've always been a kind of just a hardworking, want to overachieve type person. And, uh, and it, yeah, it's just, it just all kind of came together. So that's probably the best way I can explain it.
0: Now, one of those letters to be in the mailbox, the one that you would, uh, open up and sign your letter of intent for it was from Ohio state. Um, you became the first Buckeye ever to win first team all big 10 twice. Right. Um, Did you know at the time that that was, that was the case?
1: Well, it's funny. I didn't know that. And um, in the moment, you know, we, so, so the reason I, the reason I landed Ohio state is because with, with what I was doing with ODP and our regional team, about six of the players at the time were from uh, Ohio South. So they're all, they were all Columbus or Cincinnati kids. Mm -hmm. And I became really good friends with them. And when when one thing led to another Ohio state to start it uh, or state started to, uh, get a little bit more serious about their soccer program and they invested more scholarships into it. They hired a new coach, John Bloom, who I later worked for. And, um, and I just saw it as a great opportunity, you know, and I knew, you know, when, when this conversation comes full circle, I think the interesting part of it is I knew I had to leave Minnesota to, to chase my dream because I I couldn't play division one soccer in Minnesota. So, um, so I just looked at these other opportunities and Ohio state turned out to be a a terrific landing spot for me. And my, my goal going there was never to, you know, be all big Ten two years in a row or to be the first one to ever do that. But my goal was just to make the team better and get better as a player. And and then, and then it, and then it kind of happened. So um, I'm still disappointed. We, we, we lost the big 10 championship my junior year. That was kind of the that was going to be the crown jewel of what I hope to be my college career. But uh, the Indiana Hoosiers had something other to say about that, which they often do uh, in early November. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was, it was, it was really great. And I'm very, uh, again, thankful for the experience.
0: Now at the time there weren't, you know, I mean, there you MLS was sort of uh, an idea at this time, maybe in its yeah. early stages. There weren't a ton of pro options in the States when you're talking about the this this time when you're um doing yeah, all now this we're, great like, we're getting to like 1999
1: now there was there was not a lot of options i think the league was 2 years old at the time
0: yeah so what what did that look like for you from a life after college standpoint i mean were you looking at professional soccer as a viable option were you looking at i don't know going going overseas or or were you looking at you know, uh, being in an, you know, pursuing uh, a career outside of soccer, being in an office, you know, what nope. was, what was kind of yeah. those life after college plans for you as you're having all the success, but maybe not having a lot of the, um, options from a professional standpoint that other yeah, sports may have had was, at the time.
1: Yeah. I, I think it was all the above. I mean, I, I, I knew that I had an opportunity with the Minnesota Thunder at the time that was playing in what they called them the A-League, um, mm-hmm. You know, Mr. Lagos was a huge mentor of mine, and he helped me out with so many things as far as like, you know, going to college and club opportunities and ODP opportunities. So I, I kind of knew there was going to be a landing spot for me back here. Um, but I also knew now that I was fully uh, invested on being a goalkeeper. You know, at that time, John Swalen was kind of like the he was like the Joe Namath of Minnesota Thunder. I mean, he was just a he was just a regular starter and a regular name, and he was a he's a great guy and he was a big time player. So I kind of, I knew I could come back and do that, but at the same time, I didn't know if I could play. And I started to get a little bit more curious, um, you know, what other opportunities are out there? You know, so I looked at, you know, some opportunities uh, I went over to Germany for probably about six weeks and um, really learned some difficult lessons, how hard it is to make it over there. And, Uh, they sent me back on a plane back home. And, and I, and I kind of, I kind of landed with the Minnesota thunder and I was a young guy on that team in 1999. But, but what the team didn't, what the team didn't provide was anything less than a professional experience to understand, like, this is how you can, um, this is how you can pursue this, you know? So it was, Mm -hmm. it was guys like Amos McGee. It was John Swallen. It was uh, Mike Gentile was a great leader on our team. Um, And we, and I just kind of, I just kind of continued to fall into this, uh, like, you know, just opportunity of like, this is what I want to do. And I want to do this every day. And um, I can tell you right now, it wasn't, it wasn't for the money. <laughs> it was, mm-hmm. you know, but it was, it was just for opportunity. And then, and then it accelerated quickly where, you know, I I, I had, uh, you know, you start to get into that realm. And, you know, there's, there's agents that are trying to give you opportunities. And there's different teams that are kind of, asking about you. And, and I, I kind of, I kind of took advantage of all that and I wound up playing for the Carolina Dynamo and, you know, the, the, the former GM at Minnesota, Bill Manning wound up being the G he wound up being the GM and president for the now defunct Tampa Bay mutiny. Um, mm-hmm. So he, he wound up bringing me in. And I, I mean, I really was, I was kind of like, uh I was kind of bouncing all over the country. I mean, I was in DC, I was in Colorado, I was in San Jose, I was in Tampa. I was in Carolina. I was back here in Minnesota. And, um, I just, I just was a kid that had a dream.
0: Well, we talked about kind of the lack of maybe professional opportunities for a player at at the time, but I mean, obviously when you talk about high school college, you know, there's, there's plenty of opportunities for coaches at that level. Um, and obviously after your, your pro career, you pursued a career in coaching, uh, was this sort of the opportunity presented itself? Did you kind of always want to be a coach? When did sort of the the coaching um, aspect come in your mind and, and become something that you might want to pursue?
1: Yeah, I, so for me, it was interesting because I was, I was, I played for about four years after college and, and I'll never forget this conversation. I, I had a conversation with my former coach, John Bloom at Ohio State, and I called him and I said, "What what do I do? You know what? 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 Can I? Should I pursue this on the field? Um, and and taking it back a step, like when I was literally in college, I would I would always stop by the coach's offices and be like, I'd be like, this is this is the greatest job ever. Like you get paid to do this. Like I want to do that. And so I kind of I kind of started to learn about college soccer. And one of the biggest things that um, I'm grateful for is, you know, my my former college coach. He he basically told me, he said, you know what, you're a good player and you can, you can hang out for a couple of years doing what you're doing and you might find some opportunities, but I think you're going to be a better coach. And, and I really took that to heart and, and I, it was difficult to maybe digest at the moment, but I really listened to him and I said, okay. And then I called him back. I remember I called him back like a week later and I said, I said, I appreciate you being so honest with me. And, uh, now I'm ready to be a coach. And then he helped me get to uh, the University of Massachusetts Amherst, where they had a grad assistant position opening. And uh, I got to go to a sport management program there. It was a two-year master's program. Uh, and he he got my foot in the door. And then I I went back and I worked for him for a couple of years. And then, uh, you know, on the recruiting trail, I met pretty much every coach around the country and mm-hmm. created a great friendship and uh, appreciation for the Wake Forest staff. And then I I wound up down there for two years and uh yeah just really it really just kind of progressed that way so I'm I'm again just I mean I think in your life you have to have people that really shoot you straight and um him him telling me to become a coach at the age of 25 was probably the greatest advice I've ever got
2: I'm curious John um and we'll get to the next the next chapter in your in your coaching career in a bit but uh with you taking those steps to becoming a coach it's i've heard a lot recently and i think this has been a narrative in the past uh most recently i've heard it with uh, the new uh uh tottenham hotspurs coach head coach um the idea that goalkeepers are are special as managers or as head coaches that they bring something special to that job as a as a goalkeeper do you feel like that Changed your perspective on the sideline at all do you think that had an effect on your philosophy or do you think that's more just myth lore
1: no i think it's i think it's a good question i think and i think i think the counter argument might be some people don't think goalkeepers know enough about the game because they you know they weren't in the middle of it but mm-hmm. i i think from the vantage point that i developed as a player and as a person and as a coach i mean i i always kind of um i think i probably started coaching before i stopped playing and i think I think one of my greatest attributes as a player was that I I was really good at kind of like managing our team, moving people in the right spots, um, understanding what the philosophy was of what the team was trying to do, what the tactics were. Um, and I really loved that part of it. It was almost like a board game, right? Like you're just kind of looking at it and you're like, okay, well, what if we move these pieces here? What if we move those pieces there? And so I wasn't, I wasn't the kind of goalkeeper that just relied on some ridiculous athleticism to make saves and catch balls and catch crosses and kickball. Like I, I looked at it as like, there's guys better than me, but if I manage the 10 guys in front of me better, like I'm going to be the one on the field and I'm going to be the one that's going to be kind of like patrolling this. So, um, you know, to get back to your question, I, I, I think, I think it's a really interesting vantage point to develop as a coach. Um, you know, I can't, I can't specifically excite examples across the world of, of goalkeepers that have done it. And, and I was, I was, I was an above average goalkeeper. I wasn't, I wasn't world-class by any means, but, but, I, but I think it's, it's, it's an interesting vantage point. And the, and the other part of it that I'm very thankful for is I, I was a field player until I was almost 15 years old, you know? So I kind of, I kind of see both sides, you know? So when I, when mm-hmm. I talk to my players, whether they're, know playing as an eight or a ten or a six or a nine or or they're playing as their goalkeeper i feel like i'm very relatable to all of those kind of uh situations that they're encountering
0: you mentioned uh the couple years you spent at wake forest and i want to talk about that specifically because while ohio state you mentioned you know um you know opportunities to play for big ten championships during your time playing there obviously the program was was good during your time as an assistant coach there too Wake Forest is kind of that 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 different level, that next level. I mean, you're talking yeah. about a perennial powerhouse, but specifically at the time you were there, I mean, you guys won the program's first national championship uh, during your time there. Um, how big was that for you to see how a program like that was run? Yeah. And how much do you attribute that experience to the success you've had at the Helmet St. Thomas?
1: Well, I'll tell you this. I got, I got my master's degree in sport management at UMass and I got my PhD in soccer with Jay Vidovich at Wake Forest. I mean, he was, he is, uh, he's not a very external uh, he he's very, he's, he's just a very mindful, practical, smart Mm -hmm. soccer coach. I think he's one of the best in this country. Um, So to be able to be under his tutelage for two years and, you know, I, th- I think my favorite parts of that job were, you know, the the winning was fantastic. I mean, the team was the team was fantastic. It was loaded. I mean, we had we had a Herman Trophy winner. We had nine MLS draft picks. We had another guy go to Europe. Um, I mean, it was a it was a high, high level soccer team in this country at, at any level. And mm-hmm. um, but I think my favorite part was just the moments in the office with Jay talking about culture, talking about details, talking about all the little things that go into making a successful program and then obviously learning from what he does on the field. And, um, he he just, he thinks in a very deep, deep way. And, uh, I was just so just, I mean, I, I couldn't wait to go to work every morning. I mean, he just was every, every opportunity with him was something new. It was sometimes frustrating. It was sometimes challenging. Um, but what a what an incredible program and and now Bobby Muse is is guiding that program in a in an equally good way but uh mm-hmm. but now what Jay's what Jay's doing at Pittsburgh I mean keep an eye on Pittsburgh if you want to watch yeah. if you want to watch high level college soccer keep an eye on Pittsburgh because i I think Jay is as good as it gets
0: so I want to hear about because in all the research I've done this was sort of like the one aspect that I wasn't to find much info on and that's you know you actually getting the job with st yeah. thomas yeah um i'm sure it, it meant more to you being being so close to where you grew up but i mean you were an assistant at freaking wake forest like yeah. i have to imagine there were a f- more than a few d1 offers on the um being an assistant at such a storied program but you're going the d3 route with st thomas so what ultimately led you to st paul
1: yeah that's a th- i mean that's an interesting question and i, and I think so we had, we had two full-time assistants at Wake Forest and after the 07 season uh, where we won it. And then after the eight season um, where we lost in the semifinals to North Carolina, uh, I think we were, I think we were like 43, four and two over two years. So yeah, the phone, I mean, the phone is ringing for sure. And I'll leave, mm. I'll leave names out of it, but there was just, I just kind of came to a place where the, some of the schools that were offering, um, not necessarily guaranteeing a position, but, but asking to interview and and just get involved. I, I just wasn't too excited about them. You know, they, maybe they were in locations that I wasn't excited about. And, um, you know, I was recently married and my wife is from Minnesota. Uh, my, my mom and dad at the time were in Minnesota. My mom passed away, left my dad, uh, on his own up here. And I just kind of looked at it in 2008. Um, I kind of looked at it and I said, okay, you know what, like, I'm this really passionate driven uh, coach, but maybe, maybe I could find a little bit more balance in life, you know, maybe, may, maybe, maybe I could, you know, not have to go this hard at it. And um, so I'll never forget it. Like, I, I a friend of mine called me, and he said, Hey, the, the Hamlin University job is open. And uh, I didn't know much about it. And then I, I kind of thought it through and I and I thought to myself well nobody nobody goes from being an assistant at Wake Forest to Hamlin but mm-hmm. but maybe it makes sense for my family maybe it maybe it makes sense for my like for myself for just finding a little bit of balance in life and and I I took that opportunity and it it didn't go great to be honest um mm-hmm. but it, it it brought us back to Minnesota from a so from a personal perspective it really was, it was awesome. I mean, we, we had our first, we had our first son here. Um, mm-hmm. We got to be closer to family. We got to settle things down a little bit. And, and then to be quite honest with you, cause I I've listened to your podcast before. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any reason not to be just completely candid, but you know, after, after about a year and a half or two years at St at, at Hamlin um, I knew I wanted something else and, and we had mm-hmm. great kids there, but it just, it just didn't feel right. You know, and I think we all, as we go through, as we go through our professional careers i mean there's there's good moves and there's bad moves I, I wouldn't qualify it as a bad move but but i think it was an interesting move and then i kind of wanted to i kind of wanted to rekindle things and i wanted the ceiling to get higher um yeah. so st thomas um i remember we you know we played them I, I i knew the campus but i got to know it better when i lived back in minnesota and i and i kept looking at st thomas and i was like i was like okay wait a minute like we can win it all here. Like we can win a D three national championship here and it's, Mm -hmm. it's not going to be easy, but we can do it. And so in the spring of, what was it? Spring of probably 2011 or 12. Um, they, they made a coaching change and the job was open. Um, one of the most unique things about my entry point to St. Thomas was, uh, I talked to the, I talked to the athletic director who is recently retired as of like two years ago, but I remember Steve Fritz called me and he said, Hey, I'm looking for a coach. Um, and it's part-time and do, do you know anyone that would want to do it? And, and I, mm-hmm. I I'll never forget it. I just, I said, Steve, I'm I'll do it. And he said, no, you didn't hear me. It's part-time. I said, I, I don't care, you know, I'll, I'll do it. Cause I think we can win there. Yeah. Um, and then I had to go home and explain that to wow. my wife, but she was on board with it. And, um, the, you know, probably a segue into your next couple questions. I mean, the, the progression that St. Thomas has been under over the last 10 years while I've been here has been nothing but remarkable.
0: You, you know, usually in marriage, you, you, it's good to ask permission before forgiveness, but in some cases it's, it's forgiveness before permission. I think that's one of those, one of those cases, John. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, th- I think you get a pass for that one. I promise we will get right back into the interview in just a minute, but first want to let you know about our good friends over at stimulus athletic. You probably heard us talk about them each and every week here on 10 K, uh, stimulus athletic is really we talk about stimulus a lot and we actually, we seek them out. Seeked, is that the word? We, we sucked? No, no, because they don't suck. Uh, we seek them out to be our title sponsor here on 10K because like, this is our audience. Our audience are, are mainly people in the soccer community. We're not ignorant to that fact. And we figure people in the soccer community love good soccer jerseys, and probably have teams who need good soccer jerseys every season. And that's exactly what Stimulus Athletic provides. They are locally owned and operated right here in Minneapolis, and their owner, Jason Mora, is a mainstay in Minnesota soccer history. So you're you're really helping contribute to not only the local community here in Minnesota, but also Minnesota soccer, and somebody who has done a lot for Minnesota Soccer and Jason. So um, Stimulus Athletic, not only are you, are you helping, but you are getting a quality, quality product or products in the process. I mean, they can outfit your club with jerseys, warm-up apparel, you know, socks. Doesn't matter, it doesn't have to be soccer, it'd be any number of sports as well. So if you want an example of what Stimulus Athletic can provide, you know, there's a club, you may have heard of them, Minneapolis City SC. They use Stimulus Athletic for their jerseys. And Minneapolis City are the pinnacle of lower league soccer right now. And they use Stimulus for their jerseys. Uh, Other great sides, like Joy of the People or Vlora FC here locally. It's not just local either, though. Tulsa Athletic, they went to the NPSL championship game, national championship game this year. They use Stimulus Athletic. How about the Anguilan national team? A national team in their World Cup qualifying matches used Stimulus Athletic for their jerseys. Wore Stimulus Athletic apparel. That's the quality you're getting, but you're not paying an arm and a leg. This isn't Nike. This isn't Adidas. I don't know if i can, I'm supposed to name drop other brands on these reads, but I don't really care. It, that's not you know you're not paying an arm and a leg for this stuff this is quality game gear and apparel at affordable prices that's the whole reason jason pursued this venture in game gear and apparel he played soccer he knows how much it sucks to be out on a soccer field and be uncomfortable wearing something that's too heavy or doesn't breathe right or is just not comfortable to wear it's quality game gear it's quality apparel and it's at very affordable prices So if you are a soccer, baseball, basketball, ultimate Frisbee team looking to say, okay, who's going to uh, produce our jerseys for this coming season? Stimulus Athletic is the place you should be looking at. StimulusAthletic.com. Click that Get Started button. If you have a design already, maybe you have a designer, maybe you are a designer, that's fine. They can take that design, apply it to their quality products. If you don't have a design, guess what? Stimulus has a design team as well. They do whatever you need to get you the look and the jerseys you need. StimulusAthletic.com, click that Design tab, click that Get Started button, and make sure throughout the process you let them know Jeremy from 10,000 Pitches sent you. All right, I know that was a long ad read. Right back into the interview we go. So moving on, you mentioned the progression, and I do want to fast forward a little bit here um, because I'm very interested in this sort of unprecedented thing that happened with St. Thomas Athletics in the last two years is making the jump straight from D3 to D1. I'm sure yeah. This is not the first conversation that you've had about it. You know, probably not even the, the 25th conversation you've had about it. But, but right. my first question is it's sort of a two part question. When did you first hear D1 and St. Thomas in the same sentence? And then when did you actually hear that as a realistic possibility? Like, okay, this is not some pie in the sky idea that's way down the line. Like, this could actually yeah. happen.
1: Man, that's a—I mean—that is a juicy question. I—it mm. it was interesting because, so w- with my involvement with the program, um, I went full time. Probably four or five years into my into my tenure at Saint Thomas, and we were we were really devoted to like you know Division Three excellence and trying to win a national championship, and everything was great. And then, I—I um, I don't know a specific date, but I can just give you details as to, you know, we we started to hear that the Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, we we started to hear rumblings that they they were not thinking about us being a future member. And Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people I think a lot of people dismiss those ideas because they were maybe a little bit rooted in history where it's like, well, what are you talking about? We've been we've been a part of this conference for over a hundred years. We we helped found this conference. Like there's we're not going anywhere. And and I think the I think one of the catalysts was, you know, Dr. Julie Sullivan is our president. And she's been here for probably eight or nine years. And and early on in her tenure, she started talking about, you know, making St. Thomas one of the top 10 Catholic universities in the country. And and she started branding other universities, like, you know, what we want to be like we want to be like Marquette. We want to be like Xavier. We want to be like San Diego, Gonzaga, Butler, Villanova, what, you know, whatever it is. And, and I remember when she gave us strategic conversation about her vision for St. Thomas, this was probably three years ago, four years ago, maybe a little bit more. Um, I remember thinking to myself and I, and I really didn't share this with anyone, but I remember thinking to myself, holy smokes, like we're going to go D1 because Mm -hmm she's going to understand that she's going to understand the vehicle and the bridge that D one athletics can be to get to that place. And, and then when you bring it back to where we were with the MIAC, everything started to accelerate really quickly. Um, and then we literally got kicked out. I mean, Mm -hmm. we didn't, we didn't choose to leave. They, they told us we had to leave. So when you kind of combine the strategic plan of the university, the vision from president Sullivan, um, it kind of all just it kind of all just like it was like 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 you know it just started to add mm-hmm. up and um i don't think we ever knew with certainty until you know probably i don't know it was probably s- uh, summer of 2 years ago that this was going to happen but but the other mm-hmm. the other key thing that really was an indicator for me was um in in november of i think it was november of 20 18 or 19. I'm sorry, I'm bad with my dates. But um, President Sullivan hired Dr. Phil Leston to come in and be our our athletic director. And and Phil was at Cal Berkeley. He was at the University of Minnesota. He was at Penn State University as a as a high level assistant athletic director, associate athletic director. And when she hired him, um, I remember I came home and I was like, I'm like, we're going D1. I don't don't know how it's (laughs) going to happen. I'm like, I don't you know, I don't know how it's going to happen, but we're going D1. Mm. And then And then we went through the NCAA channels of kind of finding a new place. And there was talks that there was talks for a little bit of time that would be a D we'd be a D3 independent. There was times that there was conversations that we were going to have to go D2 for, you know, five, six, seven, eight years and make the make the transition. And then um, and then the Summit League came to us and and Commissioner Duple at the Summit League was just really eager for St. Thomas to be a Division One member. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know the back channels of what was done to get us there so quickly, but it's unprecedented. And yep. um now in front of our very face, we're, you know, twelve months ago, six months ago, eight months ago, we're playing division three soccer, now we're now we're playing Division one soccer. so it's it it's really um, I think it's one of the most unique things in all of college sports right now. It's not it, it might not be the most high profile, but I think it's one of the most unique transitions in all of college sports.
0: It definitely is. And and Dominic, I'll let you jump in in a second, but I want to add some context to something you said in terms of like that, that holy, holy crap, you know, we're going to go D1 kind of moment that you had. For a lot of D3 programs, logistically, this just would not be possible to jump from D3 to D1. There are facility standards, resource standards, you know, they're, they're all things that have to be in place to make that jump. At a place like St. Thomas, though, it's from a logistics standpoint, yes, there are still challenges, but it's not this gargantuan you know task to get everything ready from that standpoint to be a d1 program um correct me if i'm wrong but it, it seems like from that standpoint that made it a little bit more of like a realistic possibility in your mind even before that official announcement or more of those uh indicators were there
1: yeah and i think i mean i i think we were probably operating at a very high level as a division three institution. And we were probably operating higher than perhaps some division one institutions for the last couple of years. I I don't know what, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, so for, I think for us with 6,000 undergrads, with great facilities um, there's been a lot of transition because, you know, the, the, the big thing that people, they really don't, they really don't understand at times is the, it's more of a logistical thing. It's, it's it's more people on operations, it's more people in marketing, it's more people in compliance, um, it's more people in internal operations, more people in external operations, more people in sponsorships and ticket sales, you know, so I, I think those have been the probably the bigger changes because um, and there's a lot more changes that are coming in front of us to get more competitive but mm-hmm. that infrastructure being built has been um, I give St. Thomas a ton of credit. I give, and I give Phil Esten a ton of credit, and the administration at the university for putting something together so quickly that is answering all of those questions that need to be answered when you make this transition.
2: You uh, speaking of you know, you're talking about the the ch- improvement in infrastructure, improvement in staffing, those sorts of things to to deal with the jump. And earlier, you were talking about some of the mental discussions you had with yourself as you're starting to have suspicions that some of this might happen. When you were having those thoughts of, you know, wow, I think this jump might be happening. And then you start to see that it actually is going to happen. What were your thoughts about your own uh, your own preparedness for it? Did you feel confident through that process that you would have something to say uh, as that jump was happening?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I, 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 I would say, confidence wasn't an issue. I, I think there was a little bit of an internal conversation of, um, you know, I, I bring a really unique background to this project. You know, there's not, there's not a lot of coaches in our department that have been a, a division one player and then had eight years as a division one assistant coach. So I felt like I was prepared for it. Um, and then as it moved forward, I kind of looked at it as, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if this is fair to say, but I'll say it. Um, I I always kind of wanted to fish for a bigger fish. You know, it was, it was fun doing what we were doing, but there was something inside of me that was like, okay, let's, let's get off the lake and let's go deep sea fishing now. Let's, let's really get the big one. And, and that's, and that's for me personally as a, as a person and as a coach. So when I look at it in totality, full circle from like, how I got back to Minnesota, um, how this thing turned into an opportunity at St. Thomas, the involvement of St. Thomas turning into a division one program. Um, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm kind of pinching myself. Like this is, this is where I want to be. And and now um, I'm doing it in a place where um, I, where we want to be as a family. I'm doing it with extended family around me and I, yeah, I I'm, I'm, Despite our recent results, which I'm not too concerned about, but I'm I'm really really thrilled about what is happening.
0: I mean, John, if you want to compare your coaching resume to fishing in a lake, you caught damn near every fish in that lake. I mean, seventy two percent winning percentage over nine seasons in D three, national coach of the year, multiple conference titles, uh, you know, numerous NCAA tournament appearances, multiple deep runs in the NCAA tournament. With, with all that being said, though you know, this, with this jump happening in, in terms in any transition in college athletics, pro athletics, whatever, sometimes there are decisions to sort of maybe make, make changes in terms yeah. of, you know, staffing, whatever it is. Did you get some assurances early on that you were the coach to lead this program into this new realm, or were you ever worried about the potential that, you know, another, you know, another direction, maybe you to go in?
1: No, I, I, again, I think it's a great question. And I, and I think it's one that people probably want to know the answer to, but I never, um, I didn't have to apply for my job. I was offered a great opportunity and a great contract from the administration. uh, That's long-term. So yeah, I, I don't, you know, look, we're all replaceable, right? Somebody can do a better podcast. Somebody can coach a better team. um, Mm -hmm. Somebody can do a better job in whatever they do, but 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 the university has given me really good assurance that uh, I'm gonna get a crack at this, and I'll, I'll I'll leave the terms of what I came to an agreement with with the university. But but I will tell you, it's long term, and um, they they have confidence in me, and I have confidence in myself that we can do this. John, we're, we're thriving
0: on the fact that people don't know that they can do a better podcast than us. So that way <laughs> well, we're really relying on that one. Yeah. So, so don't bring that idea to people. Please, please. Let's keep, I didn't say it could keep be better than your
1: podcast. I just said <laughs> <intense. Okay. laughs> yeah.
0: okay, sounds better good. than Okay. rest good. of them. I've cleared the air. Um, so uh I want to transition to talk about recruiting. Um yeah. recruiting individuals one is obviously a lot different than recruiting in division three because you have these new great shiny toys called athletic scholarships you get to <laughs> uh, use. Um, how long did it take you to sort of and your staff um, sort of adapt to this, this new way of recruiting or kind of this, this opened up talent pool that there is, right? I mean, there's really, when you think about it, just from a, a service yeah. level perspective, there really is no no restrictions in terms of the type of players you can go after and once you're D1 um you know targets that you maybe weren't able to target before um, are you still adapting to that process what was just that adjustment period like from a recruiting standpoint
1: yeah i think from a from a recruiting standpoint we've always been uh very tuned into the the market of recruits coming out you know whether it's 22s or or 23s now that are juniors or even sophomores as 24s. And then obviously the transfer portals opened up a little bit of a different angle for college athletics. Um, mm-hmm. And then the, I think the third bucket is the, I think the international uh, influence on college soccer right now is tremendous. So, yes. um, you know, we, we, so we're, we're, we've, we've got binoculars on all three buckets right now. Mm-hmm. And, and then you kind of, you kind of look at it from the perspective of, and and the way that I look at it is, um, yeah, the, the the store has probably got more items in it for us right now, but we don't want to lose focus on what is it what does it mean to be a part of our program? You know, what does it mean to be a what does it mean to be a Tommy? What does it mean to, um, you know, like really be impacted by the academics on campus, the the culture on campus, the athletics on campus? So, you know, I I, I think people. You know, people might think that the barn door just blew open and now we can go talk to anybody that we want to. But, and there's probably some truth in that. But, but at the same time, we still wanna, we still wanna find the right young men that are gonna fit our program and, and be resilient enough to get through this transition because it's hard. And I'm sure you're gonna bring our record up at some point. I mean, it's hard. And, but, but we need guys that wanna be at St. Thomas, we need guys that St. Thomas wants them to be at and we don't want to lose ourselves in the idea that we can go shopping for anyone right now, that doesn't really intrigue me. What intrigues me is, you know, just continuing to bring in a higher level person, student athlete, and somebody that can grow in our, in our, in our culture. So, um, the, the second part of what I'll say about that is, you know, it's been very clear what the strategic, what the strategic plan is at St. Thomas, and that is to be a more, that's to be, that's to have more of a geographical footprint than just Minnesota and Wisconsin. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, over 90% of our students currently are from Minnesota and Wisconsin. So we want to branch out and get into different markets. So we're, we're spending a lot of time in Chicago, Milwaukee, Kansas city, Dallas, uh, Phoenix, Southern California. Uh, we, we've been in Nevada. We've been in Washington, basically, you know, basically anything, um, you know, west of the Mississippi, we've already touched. And then, and then we'll start to look at, you know, Indianapolis and, and, and Cincinnati and some of the other markets, you know, those are, those are a little bit more challenging because there's so many concentrated teams in those areas. But, um, but when we put all that together, that's, that's kind of our recruiting philosophy and, and, and it's, I think it's going to serve us well. So we're going to need to continue to find great kids coming out of high school. We're going to need to continue to, uh, stay active in the transfer portal for the kids that make sense for our program. And, and I can guarantee you, if you keep an eye on us over the next couple of years um, and some people might disagree with this, but you're going to, you're going to start to see more internationals on our roster for sure.
2: Just as a quick extension of that question and and apologies if there's overlap in the answer, but uh, you know, obviously the exposure of D one soccer is very different than D three. The, the environment outside of the school itself is different um, the way people perceive it the amount of people that see it the amount of teams that are interested in what's going on in it um, how, how does all of that change in in what the players are experiencing affect how you coach them
1: yeah i you know i think i think it's a progressional thing where you know the, the guys that we have right now you know there, there there's kind of three groups of players that we have right now we have we have players that we retain from our division three environment um mm-hmm. you know we have we have a lot of whatever you want to call them covid super seniors because they didn't have a year of eligibility uh, uh used last year so we have a, we have a decent number of those guys we have we have another group of players that have come in as transfers um with division one experience or division two experience and then we have a really young group of freshmen that have come in and 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 have D1 aspirations and we feel like we feel like they can they can make that jump. So um you know to be like Dominic I don't I don't know if I can answer your question the way you want like the what you're looking for but yeah. it's 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 just a it's it's a place of just we we we're going to continue to grow and it's going to change and we're, and look we're going to you know we're going to start committing kids earlier than we ever have. We're going to start, you know, traveling more to see kids more than we ever have. Um, you know, so the the recruiting part of it is critical because we have to have better players. Um, but, but while we do that, I think it's also important to be really respectful of the players that have made this jump with us to, to have the courage and the, and the bravery to say like, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go. And, um, so when you kind of put all that together, I, I don't know if that answers your question but that's kind of where where i'm at with it
0: john i'm going to take uh one of the things you mentioned in your previous answer and sort of flip it you mentioned you know getting the opportunity to um get into more markets from a recruiting standpoint and kind of get footholds in those markets but i want to talk about the talent that's right here in our backyard in minnesota um i think we've seen obviously uh recently with you know the success a guy like caden clark is having or if you want to go the college route herbert emily at indiana um, you know, there's, there's a ton of top tier soccer talent right here in Minnesota. Um, and you, as somebody who was one of those players at one point yep. mentioned, you had to go elsewhere to play D one soccer, right? So what does it mean to you knowing that a, there are kids here in Minnesota that will get a chance to, if they so choose to play D one soccer in their own state, but also from your standpoint you know, not necessarily having to lose those kids to a North Dakota state or a Michigan or an Indiana or Ohio state, you know, you're going to have that opportunity, that realistic opportunity to grab those kids and keep them here in state. What does that mean for you from both of those angles?
1: Yeah, I think, I think we need to obviously, um, we need to, we need to make sure we have a finger on the pulse of what's in Minnesota, you know? So whether it's, whether it's Herbert at Indiana or it's Caden Clark over at RB Leipzig right now. Like, I mean, those, those guys are here, you know, Jackson, Ewell went to UCLA a couple of years ago. Um, I know all those guys and and they had to leave to go play. So I, I think there's, there, there's always going to be an attention towards finding the very best in Minnesota, but, but mm-hmm. I don't think that this project is designed. Um, I haven't said this publicly, but I'll share it with you. I, I, I I don't think this project is designed to I don't think we're going to have 20 guys from Minnesota on our roster. I really don't. Um, I I think we can get in other markets and we can be strategic with how we do that. And we can bring new people to our campus um, that maybe play in what I would consider um, just maybe a little bit deeper markets of club soccer and high school soccer. So so we want to be attentive to what's in Minnesota. But but this is not going to be um For our sports specifically, you know, I I don't see this as being like Minnesota go for hockey in the 1990s, where you know 27 players <laughs> Minnesota. That's that's not what yeah. I'm looking for. Um, so we're we're looking for, we're looking for the best ones out of our home state, and then we're looking in the other markets for what we can uh what we can attract and grow with, and then and then we'll we'll kind of build out of that. So. I I think the last thing that I'll say about that is I I think it's going to help Minnesota soccer very quickly because, um, and I don't want to sound controversial when I say this, but I probably will. I I don't think a lot of people in Minnesota know what division one soccer looks like, you know, so I'll get a lot of high school coaches and club coaches that say that guy's a D one guy. And then, and then we'll kind of evaluate it and go, yeah, he's actually not, you know? So Mm. I think the more, I think the more that people can come see like on Mondays, you know, see Drake play. Um, you know, come to our next home game, um, you know, and 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 see that team play and 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 see and see what this market looks like so that you can have a maybe a a little bit more a little bit more context towards what the level is. You know, just because uh, you know, just because you're the best player at Wasetta High School, it it doesn't mean that you're the it doesn't mean that you're going to translate the best division one soccer players. So, um, kind of a, kind of elaborated answer, but, um, but I'm, I'm pretty, yeah, that's, that's where I sit with it.
0: No, I mean, that's good. And, uh, I, I do want to ask one more question on the recruiting thing, and I promise we'll switch to another topic. You mentioned, um, you know, the the importance of international soccer and how that's really made an impact in the college game. I mean, we saw what happened with Marshall this year, right? I mean, just dominated the way to net national yeah. championship unbelievable yeah they, they um, you know,
1: I think they, I think they probably would have won the USL
0: yeah <laughs> at least league one um for sure <laughs> um, but uh how are you sort of I mean is that causing you guys to sort of maybe change your process and how you emphasize how you're going to recruit internationally um making that more of a priority I mean being that you're sort of just getting this sort of ship off the ground from a D1 yeah. recruiting standpoint um, how much of an emphasis do you plan on making internationally, if if you have that plan in place at all? If you know how much?
1: No, I think I think we have to be very I think we have to be very conscious of what's happening in Division One college soccer because I mean you, I mean the the Marshall experiment is is unbelievable. I mean that the level that they're playing at is is incredibly high. Um, okay. We're not going to try to be Marshall, but at the same time, you know every Here's, here's what I'll tell you. We've played, we played two preseason games. We played Wisconsin, Notre Dame, and we played five division one games in the regular season. Every single one of those teams has had at least one international on it. You know? So I'm not, I don't look at it as, um, an overhaul. I look at it as kind of like a supplementation, you know? And if if we can find a player in Germany, in England and Sweden and, uh, you know, I mean, my my WhatsApp is blowing up because I'm talking to people all over the globe right now about. Yep. There's kids in New Zealand. There's kids in Iceland. There's kids in uh, Denmark and uh, other places. So, you know, I, I I don't I don't think if if the three of us were sit if if the three of us were to sit down in three years from now, we're not going to have a roster overpopulated with international players. But but you will see uh, a segment of them being a part of what we're doing. As we kind of blend that with, you know, local kids, uh regional kids, national kids, transfers and internationals. I'll
0: tell you what, John, if you get uh, a dozen kids from Iceland into St. Thomas, you can start your own variation of the skull chant there for your St. Thomas home <laughs> games. <laughs> they, they
1: they, might not. Yeah, they, they might have a problem with the Vikings because I think I think they started it <laughs> for
0: Oh man. Um uh, so let's let's transition and, and talk about kind of how this, this first D1 season has started. We kind of have alluded to it um early on. Um, you know, 0-5 start. Um, but again, this is this is the first year. This is sort of that transition yeah. period. Um, you guys have played some highly competitive matches though in those first handful against yeah. this new D one competition. Um from this first five-game stretch, have have you learned anything from from this this stretch that maybe you didn't anticipate or you know just just something that you thought was maybe a minor thing but it's a major thing you know just just anything mm-hmm. maybe that that you that you've learned or picked up on during these first well, few matches
1: i'll tell you one thing i've learned is i've learned that we have a great group of guys and mm-hmm. their their willingness to be uh vulnerable and fearless and you know put themselves you know, on, on display and maybe it doesn't go our way, but for them to, for them to have the faith in this program, to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to fight for this program. um, I I think that's Mm -hmm. my first takeaway. You know, the, the second takeaway is it's, it's hard to, it's, it's really hard to estimate and, 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 and manage how the, how the players kind of evolve through this progression, you know, because, Mm -hmm. you know, we went down to Houston Baptist for our, for our home, or for their home opener, and and it was a winnable game. You know, we we lost one nothing in overtime. Um, I, th- I think we were a little bit cautious with some of our play. Um, you know, we played preseason games at Wisconsin and Notre Dame. We tied Wisconsin one one. You know, they were they were they were better, but we 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 hung in there and really found a positive result. We learned a lot at Notre Dame, just as to what the ACC looks like. Um, Mm -hmm. we, we played a, we played a big East team in DePaul already. Um, we, we were definitely in that game for probably about an hour and then it kind of got away from us. So, you know, it's, I I think maybe the third thing that I would say about it is I don't think we ever over, I don't, I don't think we ever underestimated winning, but winning came really natural to us. And we did it for, we did it for a long time. We won a lot of games at the division three level. And it's it's harder to win here, and and I think our guys are starting to figure out that the margins are smaller, um, the 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 travel is harder, the 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 variables with you know when when you're down in Houston on a Sunday afternoon at five o'clock and it's 112 degrees, it's not easy, you know, and mm-hmm. and we're and we're kind of you know we've traveled or 4,400 miles in the last three weeks, you know, so I'm not mm-hmm. making excuses for any of it because I think all of it is equipping us for the the, 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 the toughness to be able to get through what's going to be ahead of us. And I, and I think there's a lot of in front of us this year, to be honest with you, I, I, I am not losing sleep over 0 and 5 right now. I'm not happy about it, but I'm not losing sleep. And, and I think the reason I say that is, you know, this, this project is it's a long-term hold and it's going to take a while to get this going. The administration knows that the university knows that. And, And if anything, um, you know, we're working with a group of young men that they haven't had to react to failure for much of their careers. And now they do. And I think I think as their coach and as uh, somebody that's got a little bit more lifelong experience, um, I'm okay seeing them struggle a little bit because because I know they have the character to get through it. So that's that's kind of where we're at
0: not to put one on the quote board for you or anything, but you know, that, that adversity, that failure is like the ultimate fuel for success. Right. I mean, once you, once you sort of get on the losing, losing end of the stick enough, you, that starts to, to fuel you and, uh, you know, uh, sort of, uh, can help you get over that, that hump um, too. And
1: I'll tell you this, we, I mean, we had a very candid conversation as a group this morning. Um, we had early training this morning and I, you know, I, I said, one of my biggest concerns is that, we cannot get we you cannot get comfortable losing. You can't. You know it, it cannot become a habit. And um, and I think the guys I, I think they really understand that in the process of what we're doing. And and I and I won't get into it, but we, we've got we've got issues that people don't know about. We've got injuries. We've got eligibility issues for some guys that didn't uh, get cleared to play this fall. So you know this mm-hmm. this is a group of guys that are not making excuses and. And they're looking at it saying, okay, let's, let's get up and go again. And, and the thing, the thing that I tell the guys on a daily basis is no matter what happens today, we're going to be okay. Cause we're, we're putting our best mm-hmm. work in for the university and for the athletic department and for ourselves. And, and the second thing I tell them is we're going to get up and we're going to go again tomorrow. So, you know, when, when is that first win going to come? A lot of people are asking me, um, but I, <laughs> I, I I'm not worried about it. Like it's, it, yeah. It's going to come it's going to come and it's not going to define us and and if we do this right um if we do this right we're going to put a good culture in place. We're going to we're going to build on a good culture. We're going to continue to learn about what our environment is, what the teams look like. Um you know, continue to get support from the infrastructure that St. Thomas is building. And 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 I'll tell you this, there's there's little things about, you know, you know, we've never played at Houston before. We've never played at DePaul before. We've never played at Northern. We don't know what the locker rooms look like. We don't know what the bus rides like. We don't know where to eat. We don't know what the hotel is going to be like. And it's going to take time for all of those little comforting nuances that I I I I would say any head coach at a high level those those things matter, you know? And and yeah. once we can continue to get that comfortability um and we and we and we build that with good recruiting and we build that with just good everything i I think we're gonna we're gonna cross this bridge i I think probably sooner than people think we are
0: as a thank you uh gift for being on this podcast john i'm gonna get you a crystal ball so you can break that out anytime somebody asks you (laughs) (laughs) hopefully by the time you get it you won't need it though right i mean that's yeah maybe i'll grow uh, like
1: maybe i'll grow like a ted lasso mustache and just just tell the guys to believe (laughs) it
0: there you go love it be a goldfish absolutely (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So uh, at the time of recording this past Monday, Labor Day, I think by the time this episode airs, it'll be two Mondays back. But Labor Day, uh, you guys had your first home division one match against Drake. Um, Obviously, the result didn't go your way. But talk to me a little bit about about the atmosphere. Um, As we mentioned, things kind of come full circle as one of the guys you watched you know, in the stands at the Metrodome as a kid, uh, you know, presents you with a Minnesota United Jersey or presents the team with a Minnesota United Jersey before the match on the field. Yeah. Um, I I wasn't there, but from what I saw, it it seemed to be a pretty, pretty special overall atmosphere for that match.
1: Yeah. I think it's, you know, and I think, I think one of the things that's happening right now is it's kind of like an overview of people's excitement being like, Oh my goodness, this is happening in Minnesota. And then it's going to get more centric towards like, okay, when are they going to be really good? You know? And yeah. so it was kind of a celebration of, it was a celebration for people like myself. It was a celebration for people in the community to be like, we have this, we have another platform, you know, we have, we have Minnesota United at the highest level. We have great club soccer. We have high school soccer. We have so many different, you know, we have ECNL, we have MPL, we have uh, MLS next. We have, and, and, and to vertic- to vertically integrate this with a division one program um, you got a division two program now in St. Cloud, you've got great division three programs. I've been watching my games over the last couple of days. Like, yep. I mean, there's really good soccer going on in Minnesota. And then you add, you know, the, the Minnesota, uh, the I'm sorry, the Minneapolis city teams and things like that. Like it, there's just a really cool soccer culture right now. So I think, I think Monday was more of a celebration of that more than, um, why did these guys just lose to Drake, you know? And, mm-hmm. and, and and my job is to look at it, you know, with a microscope and say, okay, why did we lose to Drake? Um, and I, I think there was there was a lot of really good moments in that game. Uh, there was a little bit of naivety again from us to finish off and get a result. But, you know, there's, there, there's, there's no coach in the world that can give you a timeline to when your team's going to be ready to win. Uh, but the attitudes are great. The, the mentality is solid. The, the trust in our group is really good. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to, we're going to get on a plane tomorrow and we're going to fly out to Spokane, Washington and, and give it a go on Friday night at Gonzaga. And uh, I, I, there's, there's no confidence lacking in this group. It's just, uh, it's going to take, it's going to take a little bit of time and, and having the patience to uh, let that come to fruition can be challenging at times, but Um, I also think I'm at a place in my life and in my career where I'm, I'm okay having that patience right now.
0: Is that something you sense your your players or even, even yourself, John, that, that there may be a little bit of excitement that this part of it, kind of like the getting to travel out to Spokane, Washington on a, on a Thursday, you know, to go play Gonzaga. It's like, do you sense excitement from your group that, okay, now that we're D one, we get to do really kind of really cool stuff like this. Like, does that, are you you kind of getting that vibe at all or is it kind of all business
1: i no i i think i i think it's a really good point because i i think our guys are really enjoying this um they we have a lot of guys that have made pretty significant sacrifices to be a part of it um especially after coming out of the covid year and they they didn't have to do this but they wanted to because they believe in the program and they believe in what we've done in the past and they believe in what they want this program to do in the future so you know i i don't i don't want to say that we're happy to be there because mm, I, I i i don't want to I, I would never i would never say that we're happy to be there but i think there's a little bit of hey this is really cool right now and 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 i think some of the details that we're missing to get results they might be attributed to the whole wow like this is we're at notre dame right now we're at houston baptist right now we're at wisconsin right now we're at gonzaga right now and and the, and the one thing that i always tell the guys and 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 i and i and i and i feel fortunate to have this experience like i don't um, i don't want this to sound arrogant but like i'm not overwhelmed by i'm not overwhelmed by any of this and but i do think i do think at times the guys can get a little bit overwhelmed by it and the thing we talk about is and we talk about this on a regular basis is you got to get comfortable in your new reality You know, the the new reality is that we're going to fly to Spokane and play Gonzaga on Friday night and there's going to be 2000 people there and it's going to be crazy. That's our new reality. So now we got to get comfortable in that reality. And, and I think we're, I think we're getting there and I, and I think it's going to come quick because we've really, we've really thrown our guys in the fire over the last three and a half weeks. I mean, just an unprecedented schedule um, with ridiculous travel and, and great environments and, And I'm just, I'm kind of looking at them going, okay, when, when you guys are ready to be comfortable in this environment, we're going to take off and, uh, you know, we have the pieces to do it. So it's, it's, again, it's, it's patience and, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's definitely one of the more challenging tasks I've ever had as a head coach, but it's also, it's also one of the most exciting.
0: Last question here for you, John. And again, we really, really appreciate the time.
1: No, thank I'm you. Just guys. wondering.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, being that this is kind of your f- first year in this new reality, as you just mentioned, are there any specific benchmarks that you have? Whether it's, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know what what stat it would be or what aspect it would be. But I mean, have we talked to you guys? Do you have any specific benchmarks or goals that you want to hit um, in terms of numbers yeah. or, or or whatever?
1: Well, I think I think it's different because. I'm gonna give you a really boring answer. Um you know, we don't we, we, we can't play in the postseason. So there's no national championship. There's no conference playoff championship. Uh we we're gonna play in the summit league regular season. Obviously we wanna I, I think those six regular season summit league games are gonna be those are gonna be kind of our those are gonna be our cup games. That's where we really want to um, and they don't start for another couple of weeks. So we're still kind of preparing for that, but, yeah. um, getting back to what I was going to bore you with. I mean, we just want to, we want to get better every day. We want to, we want to give the kids a great student athlete experience. We want to keep recruiting hard and we want to, we just want to stay in a place where, um, the guys are enjoying this process because for us, it, it, it really comes down to the process. If we, if we train the right way if we eat the right way if we sleep the right way um if we take care of our academics the right way and 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 if we do all of those things uh and there's more if we do them the right way results are going to follow and and there's mm-hmm. no there's no timeline right there's you know there there's no my my administration is not saying to me um you know if you don't make if you don't make the playoffs we're going to get rid of you like that that's not happening like mm-hmm. they want they want a really good solid program of good young men that are going to represent the university the right way. And, you know, we're, we're doing that in a very, very competitive environment. And, you know, I think the people that, and I, and I really appreciate the outpouring of people in the soccer community that have been really grounded with this. And they've said, they've said, Hey, you know, it's going to take time. It's going to take time. And then, and then there's other people, um, you know, there's, there's other people that are like, Oh my goodness, you're 0 and 5 right now. And, we're not worried about it you know it's 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 just this is a long-term project it's going to take a ton of uh effort it's going to take a ton of time and and you know if if i'm talking to you guys uh if i'm talking to you guys three years from now and we're oh and five it's a different conversation but for where we're at right now we're we're learning we're growing we're getting better and uh it's it's just an incredible honor to be able to uh, be in charge of this unprecedented uh, trend, you know, progression for the program.
0: All right. John Lowry, the head men's soccer coach at St. Thomas in their first year in division one play. Um, start again, as you mentioned, starting summer, uh, summer league, summit league conference play here in just a couple weeks. And, uh, the non-conference schedule obviously ramping up ahead of that. John, we really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. We'll be paying close attention to Tommy's all season long.
1: No, I appreciate that and thanks for you guys do for soccer in Minnesota and beyond. You guys are you guys do a great job.